Hello again, Dwayne Brummett here with Ali Albarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Ali, good day, sir. Hey, good day to you as well. How's the weather by you? I know we're kind of in the same weather belt, you know, similarly. It's, Is it chilly? Uh, or? Well, it was 30, it was 30 degrees uh, this morning oh. when I woke up, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it's, it's actually warming up by us. I think we're in the 40s, maybe 45, 50 today. It's going to go up to, which is great. We've just started turning our heat on in the schools, which uh, is a massive expense for us. You know, old buildings, hot yep. uh, oil, baseboard, you know, heat, you know, so it costs a fortune. Makes When I think of the winter, I think of money and literally like $100 bills just burning up and puffing. <laughs> burning up, yeah. It's a really scary kind of concept, but uh, part of what we do, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, there's a, yeah, a cost. There's a cost to doing business, you know. Yeah, that's the part people never realize. They just think like all the money goes straight tuition, straight to our pockets, straight into our bank accounts, straight to our secret hidden islands in some, you know, vast beautiful place that's out there. You know, I don't think people realize the actual cost that it takes to run a school. I don't think school owners, right. new school owners, especially know that. That's the that's the problem where they get in trouble. Yeah. So, so today we have a cool call, right? I mean, I wanted to discuss because I, you know, I really feel like there's a missing component sometimes and that, you know, people are thinking, hey, like Dwayne and Allie can teach us about business, the, the systems, the ideas, the concepts of how to run the business, marketing ideas, you know, uh, whatever the case may be. But there's one important factor, and that is the actual retention of a student or training a student or the teaching, the actual teaching on the floor, and I think that that's such an important thing, and it's sometimes very much overlooked, and sometimes it's actually, um, I don't know, I guess it's elusive in its own way, where uh, people become martial artists, they're black belts, and they um, teach, but they don't might they may not be the best teachers yet. Sometimes that takes years of practice. Sometimes they've never been taught how to teach. You know, right. um, you know, they don't have the methodology. I'm nervous to say this, but sometimes people don't have the personality to teach, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that could be why schools fail or schools drag or schools don't grow and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of different levels of, of teaching and leadership within a school. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, who's the uh, Mike Rowe? Mike Rowe has a video out, and it's uh, it, 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 I should find it and post it with this, but he talks about that uh, his he wanted to mimic his grandpa, right? His grandpa was this fixer upper. He could you know build a house out of a uh, you know out of a pine tree. I mean, just you know that type of thing that he was he was so good at being able to do those type of things. And Mike was yeah. like, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to be my grandpa and 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 uh, basically mike was trying really hard um extremely hard but just because he had a passion for it didn't mean that he actually uh had the ability to right. do it and right. he soon found out that you can have a passion for something but not have the ability and yeah. you can work really really hard on making that lack of ability a little bit stronger, but right. it it not be the right thing for you to be in. And obviously, of course, he he found you know other things uh, to to do. But but the the gist of it, I think, or one of the morals of the story is, you know, just because you are passionate about something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. And right, uh, right. you may not you may be, you may be horrible at it. Um, yeah. And so just because you're passionate about the martial arts doesn't mean that you should teach it. doesn't mean yeah. that you should run a school. Right. 
and, and you, you could run a school, but maybe not be your own head instructor too, right? Sometimes, like I have a few clients of mine that say, hey, I'm, I'm just not good with the kids. So they hire an instructor, a student of theirs, that has a great rapport and ability to teach children. Like, so I, I think the biggest mistake for many of us is that everybody believes that they have to be everything, right? They have to be every part of the school. They have to be, uh, you know, a teacher for every curriculum based on the children, teens, adults, women, kickboxing, you know, whatever, weapons, they have to do it all, right? And then some of them have the ability to do those things but not teach those things because, you know, there is each a, a different dynamic for each, you know, each age group. I, I'll give you a funny story. I had a client once that they started a little warrior program from like four to six-year-olds, and they had this instructor, and um, he was a monster of a guy, six foot four, shaved head, tattoos, looked like an ex-con MMA, you know, street brawler, right? And the kids were, like, so afraid of him when they first met him. None of the parents are like, oh, we're not going to bring him. My kids are deathly afraid. So the guy came to me and said, what do I do? You know, I, do I fire him and hire someone else? I said, no, I think it's the perception of who he is. I said, let's give him a nickname. We called him the Big Bear, right? And then we, we said, let's get him down on his hands and knees and let the kids ride on his back and wrestle with him and fight with him. And, and uh, within like a week of him playing around with the kids, they absolutely loved him. And he was so good with kids. He had kids of his own. Um, of course, his kids weren't intimidated by his size and his look. But, you know, for a new person, it was scary, right? So now he's known, you know, was known as the big bear. And the kids absolutely loved him. And the instruction, and people are signing their kids up, referring their friends. So it really all depends on your strengths, right, and and what you have going for you. And that's a big mistake a lot of times with people. And by the way, one thing that I've found my whole life was that people um, are intimidated by my title and my ability, and they think I'm something different than I am. I'm non-approachable, not because I, I'm actually acting that way, but because of my, my you know, I'm the shihan of the school, I'm the headmaster, I'm whatever, they might feel like they can't talk to me, right? But I have to break down those barriers. I always constantly talk to people and tell them, listen, let's chat, let's talk. I could sit in the lobby and goof around and, you know, uh, to some extent, you know, just so people know that um, I have the personality that they, they're comfortable with, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, you put your pants on the same way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. People sometimes don't realize that, do they? They think of you, they put you on a pedestal when you don't even want to be there. You know, the pedestal sometimes is not a, a, a good pedestal. Sometimes it's a pedestal of fear and intimidation or unapproachability and so on and so forth. So it's good for us to always remind people that we are just like the younger guys. We're, we are just like our staff. We are just like the junior instructors. You can approach us and talk to us and so on. Right, but we also don't want to lose uh, the – like I had a parent come up to me and, and uh, say, hey, Dwayne, is it, is, is it okay that I call you Dwayne? And right. I go, well, you know, in the studio I would prefer you to say Mr. Brummett. Right. Well, but, you know, we're two adults. I said, yeah, but I call you Mr. So-and-so. Right. And I said, it's just consistent. And then that way, you know, your kids or no other kids need to go, what? How come he or she gets right. to call them – it's just all the same. And I said, so I'm yeah. going to continue to call you Mr. So-and-so. And now he, yeah. he does. He, he, I mean, I didn't make him, but yeah. I just gave him the reasons why. Well, I think, though, that's important. You know, that very essence is like, you know, when people get comfortable with you. They start to think like they get comfortable. They meet, they meet a girl, and they're really respectful. Then they start dating, and they get to know each other. And, you know, it, it's not that they're not respectful, but the, they're more open to be able to communicate without that fear of walking on eggshells. 
So mm-hmm. as parents or students get to know you more, they start to feel more comfortable with you. I always say, compl- I have it right on my desk, complacency breeds contempt, right? So people get used to you and they start to think like, hey, I, I could get away with this or that. You know, like I've had people have shortened my name. When I was a Renshi, uh, one of the parents was like, hey, Wrench, like they shortened it down, like, you know, Ali, Al, you know. You know, so I'm like, I don't know what a wrench is. You know, I said to him, I said, it's wrenchy, you know. And he's like, oh, I thought, you know, and then, and then I've had people try to call me by my first name. And I said, listen, I, all my students and their parents call me by my title. Um, no one knows me. If you call up and ask for Allie, most people will probably say, Shehan, you mean Shehan? You know, and if, and if some of my students' parents say, uh, you know, to my student, Wrenchy Ryan, they'll say, oh, Ryan. I go, you mean Wrenchy Ryan, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Renshi Ryan. Like, I make sure that they understand the levels of respect, which is very, very important. And I think that that's something that's misunderstood in this day and age. Yeah, so so um, any any thoughts on that or you want to move on? So, so my thoughts are like this. I think that a few things I would recommend, number one, if people are struggling with being that kind of teacher, um, I think that, you know, honestly, this is no joke. You could take acting lessons. Right. I I actually am lucky because I was a performing musician. So I've been on the stage my whole life when I was younger, since I was like 10 years old. So I knew what it was like to rally a crowd. I knew what it was like to motivate a crowd. I knew what it was like to, you know, be in front of a crowd. Um, tell a story, you know, I'd make up these funny stories leading into the next song I was going to sing or make or whatever. And um, very, very important that, uh, you know, that you learn how to do that, right? And you have to be a performer, you know, being a teacher is a performer. Um, It's almost like a school teacher. They should put school teachers through an acting class because some school teachers are so freaking boring that it is so hard. Oh, oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so hard to learn from somebody who does not capture your attention, right? It's like, you know, I would have, I have instructors that I, you know, we teach them how to teach and we'll put them up in front of a class and give them a curriculum to teach and tell them and coach them how to do it. But I'm like, you can't teach monotone. Like, okay, I'm so excited. We are going to do jumping jacks right now. Everyone is excited with me. I hope you are, you know, like you have to have that inflection that, you know, the different tones in your voice, you have to show the excitement in order to portray that you are excited. So I always say, like, listen, a quick, even an online, you could do an online, an online acting course. You could go on YouTube and get actors that are actually good Shakespearean actors that will actually teach a course for free online, right? And you could learn the different things on how you could do a pregnant pause before you talk, meaning like, you know, rather than saying the word um all the time or uh uh-huh or you know, you could say things without saying them. You, You say a statement. And then you pause for a few seconds. Like while you're thinking, you don't have to fill the sentence up with, um, uh huh, you know, right? You can just take that time to think through what you're going to say, right? So that's all these different skills and character traits of an instructor that are what makes a good classroom. And by the way, you know, this goes with also how you break down technique and how you teach technique. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, we have, uh, material that we that we do one one is uh one one topic that we do is called voice inflection and with inside of voice inflection i also talk about the uh speech patterns and you know not only do you you also sometimes match the speed or the speed of the techniques that you want to happen so if you want people right. to be, all right guys I, I really want you to go this kick really really fast and so i would say that that way i yeah. wouldn't say okay guys i want you to throw the kick fast. I wouldn't right. do that. 
Exactly. Um, and then if I want it slow, I might be deliberate about it. Like if we're working on balance, I say, hey, guys, look, I really want, you know, you to work on your kicks with good balance. I don't want you to go fast. Right. And notice I, I, I said that fast. I want you to be yeah. balanced with it. And yeah. so I will match, uh, you know, I'll match that. The other thing is, and you you spoke about it, is the uh, the pause. The pause is actually what makes the music good because right. if the music just ran all together or even the lyrics just ran all together like a run-on sentence, if the music was a run-on sentence, nobody would listen to the music. It's actually right. the pauses that are put in specific, uh, you know, specific spots that, that make the music good. And you listen to any good speaker, any uh, good musician, the pauses are where they're supposed to be. Right, exactly. Well thought out, but at the same time, um, utilized for impact and effect, right? So that's something and, that... And then we know. even do, yeah, and we even do, because uh, I, I do this a lot, is I really try to get the buy-in uh, and I get them to finish my sentences. And I'll even right. pause to get them to say it. So I'll say, all right, guys, I want you to finish my sentence. Right. That's right. That's, right. You know, that type of thing. Yeah, that's all, I do that as well, and that's great. You know, we teach very similarly. I mean, I've taught at your school. I've seen you teach. You've seen me teach. We have a really dynamic way about how we teach, and um, that's important for school owners. Like, I've had many school owners that I've coached in the past, right, and they they say to me, well, what do I need to do to have a successful school? And, and I'm not being negative or facetious, but after I hung up the phone in my head, I'm thinking – you need to develop a personality. You need to learn how to speak. You need to learn to have some some excitement in your voice, right? And it's almost like I knew, like these people, if they were in front of me, they would bore me to death, right? They would be so bad. You know, it's like I've had teachers that were just amazingly intense, right? And some of them were just so intense that it was just like it looked like it was fake, right? You know, so it's like people who are pretending to be excited, right? So you got to have that genuine a mindset. Go ahead. You were, you, you were going to say. Yeah, I think too. Um, you, you talk about the mindset. What puts me in the in the right frame of mind is a couple of things. Number one, when I teach, I tie my belt differently than when I'm a stu- when I'm a student. So that's oh, yeah. number one. Just from a physical standpoint, I tie my belt differently. Um, number two is I look at the training floor as a stage, and all the students are my actors, and then all the parents is the, is the audience. And right. if you're going to be a good good director, not only do you create what's going to happen out on that stage to have some sort of experience for the actors, you're also creating that experience for the audience. And the nice thing about what we do is it's also kind of live improv. Not right. that not that uh, your classes or class plans should not be planned because they should be. Right. But on the fly, like I always teach my instructors that, you know, hey, look, while you're teaching, you also need to keep an eye on those parents because those parents will cue you in on, on things that are happening uh, negatively on, on the floor really, right. really quick by the way that they're looking at their kids or some other kid. Yeah, yeah. And more often than not, you can head that off at the pass really quick by just seeing uh, the uh, the parents. So when you're teaching, I hardly ever keep my back towards the parents 
um, unless there was something I needed to do, you know, specifically. But more often than not, I make sure that I move around the room so that I can see the parents, their uh, perspective and what's happening at the same time. So in as much as it's a play, it's more of an improv that's happening as well. So I think that puts you in the right frame of mind when you start looking at your instruction that way. Yeah, and I love that. That's absolutely it's, – it's, it's, I, I happen to have my teachers in a lobby, my parents in a lobby by camera, but I have one classroom that's sliding glass doors to enter, and it's right there. So I'll leave my door open like a foot so people can hear all the things that I'm saying. And I had the other day, I had like 40 kids in one class, and the parents were in awe like, you know, of how I keep them in line, keep them engaged, keep them motivated, correct the kids that aren't listening in a positive way. You know, like I might say, like, you know, like one kid's laying on his side, and we're supposed to be sitting up cross-legged, Anza, or on our knees, Seiza, and I would say, uh, you know, how we're supposed to sit, right, Johnny? And Johnny's like, and he some. I wasn't like, Johnny, sit up straight. You're a terrible kid. I'm like, right, Johnny? And then Johnny readjusts himself and sits up straight. There's one movie I loved when I watched it with my daughter, and it was called Inkheart. Inkheart is, uh, was done in 2008. You could go and look at it. It was with, um, uh, what's his name, the actor? Let me see if I can find it. But anyway, um, very famous actor. And uh, let's see, writer, star, Brent, Brent, Brendan Fraser. And uh, it was about this back in the day where where parents wouldn't have movies they would tell stories from storybooks to entertain their children however this guy had what they called a silver tongue and his stories would come true and they would actually happen so he had to be really careful of the books he read and the things that he spoke about because they'd become reality and um that's when i talk about that i actually had a lesson in my leadership team lesson plan about this, you know, storytelling and why it's important. You know, it's the old days where right now we can say, hey, I sometimes go, hey, if you want to see a really great kata, let me show you a video of this little five-year-old girl and I'll show the class, right? But there's the times where you want to just tell the story. You want to make sure that you're explaining to people in a way that's so engaging that it captures their heart, that they'll remember it. In fact, my kids' classes now, I, I didn't intend for this to happen. It's kind of a little embarrassing at times. But when I go, hey, guys, come over here. I want to tell you something. They all start yelling, story time by Sheehan. And they, they come sliding in and they sit down and they're like totally into it because I have all these really kind of fun stories that I like to talk about and motivate or, you know, tell them. And sometimes I swear it's from a movie I just saw the night before or I made it up on the fly or whatever. And, um, you know, we have to learn to be that dynamic in a classroom to capture the hearts of, of everyone else. We got a lot uh, of really totally. great people on, by the way. We have so many. We have uh, some famous martial artists on board. Uh, Hanshi Terry Macaron is from my area. He's been teaching martial arts for like 50 years. I think he trained Kevin James, the actor, at, when he was a brown belt. And then we have other people like, oh, my goodness, like, um, uh, let's see, Sifu Cliff Letterman, or I think that's Sifu Cliff, right? And um, Robert Hernandez, all the way from Puerto Rico, is on a call. Um, so Some great people, Ryan Blanchard. So it's a busy day today. I'm really excited to see all these people listening in. And thanks for being here, everybody. If you have a question, um, you could write it up here on the board, and we'd love to answer it. So any quick pointers, let's just say you're a new instructor, a new school owner. What would you say would be like maybe one or two things, tips that they could possibly use within their class that you would recommend? Well, I would say, you know, one of the things is uh, understanding the, the, the three learning styles. Um, I mean, there's more than there's more than three, but let's just generically say the three learning styles, you know, the auditory, 
visual and kinesthetic and how to use uh, them to your advantage. You want to make sure that when you're teaching that you teach in all three of those. Um, and then especially identify the, the students that are kinesthetic that basically need, you know, you to move them around like a, a Muppet so that uh, they actually get the feeling of uh, of the technique or techniques. Yeah. Um, I would say that's one. Um, I'm looking uh, different ones up that uh, I use, like like I have lesson plans on. Um, you know, the the whole concept of the positive reinforcement, how that plays into you know teaching the whole understanding of praise correct praise. But not only that, um, you know, public praise and private reprimand. You know, it's okay right. to reprimand to a certain degree out on the floor, but when it gets to a certain position uh, or certain situations, those need to be private, but definitely praising publicly. Um, the concept of healthy competition, you know, where yeah. you put a competition between two, di two different students or group of students or whatever it is, um, giving attention to, you know, we, we talk about, uh, we, 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 we do the, uh, uh, what is it, giving, uh, oh my gosh, giving students personal attention and like right. three different ways that we talk about it. So, you know, one is calling them or using their name three, to, you know, three times in class, appropriate uh, touching three times in class. Um, it's so funny, know, Dwayne. I, 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 I just wrote those down on my notes to say to say that while you were talking, uh, the three time rule and the three touch rule and so on. So that's awesome. Keep keep going. Um, there's uh, there's uh, four methods of maintaining focus and motivation that we uh, 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 teach to our uh, well storm team first because they got to know that before they can even become a staff member. So you know they have to know and understand. Uh, those things. So th th just, you know, a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the, I don't want to say obvious things, but they are. I mean, they're, they're we want to treat our students the way that we would like to be treated. We also need to know how to maximize their learning to the best right. of the students' abilities. Um, yeah. But the only way you're going to know that is if you know how to, you know, die diagnose their their learning styles and their learning abilities everybody's going to be a little bit different um, right so i don't well, know if that helps no that helps a lot you know one thing though that i must say which is very very important is that um that one thing that i think that's the biggest thing that i've found recently is that um language is everything Right. And what I mean by that, I teach a Japanese martial arts. So I and I love and I want the parents to understand that, like when I run my kids around the room, I, I will have them run and I say, stop. Right. And then they stop. And then then I say, run around the room. I'm going to say it in Japanese. Yame. And they stop. And then when I get them to um, to go, I say go. And then eventually I say, hajime, go. Right. And then I say, hantai, run the other way, um, which means, you know, half a body turn. So they turn around and run the other direction. So parents, like I said, I do want you to understand that they're running, right? You see this as exercise, and I know you think that that's a benefit. Um, but what you do do not see is that I'm teach, teaching them the Japanese terminology as well as teaching them to think and react immediately. So they hear a word, like a parent is walking their kid or the kid's walking next to them. They say, stop, and the car's coming, right? 
they stop rather than, huh, what? Like so many times people take forever to actually let it sit in. Now, the reason why I bring up verbiage and, and language is because I've been really working this a lot lately because you know what? You say things, and I don't know if you run into this um, because you're, you know, you're teaching for a long time too and you could see the difference than 20 years ago, right? But now it's like you'll say to a kid, face me. And like an eight-year-old doesn't know what that means, right? You know, so like you have to say to yourself, you would, I would normally say it's, you know, common sense, right? You know, face me. That Everyone knows what face me means or, you know, uh, look that way or, you know, stand up on balance or whatever the thing is or chamber the knee, you know, chamber the hand or whatever you're saying to people. We have to realize that it's a foreign language to them, even though it's the English language. The context of what we're saying and asking for doesn't pertain to that student's mindset. And this could be kids through adults, right? So we have to teach the terminology because, you know, yes, a smart, more mature person could figure it out and kind of have association and immediately look and do, right? But the average person, um, younger kids, especially from like two years old up to like 14, I think now, I would say, uh, have a hard time sometimes understanding you know, they know they're left from their right, but they can't do it on the spot. Like, grab your left, your left, come on, quick, you know, like, and they're, like, frozen. And, or, you know, put your hand by your elbow and grab your bow step. I would say that, and I had kids with their hands on their shoulders. Like, last week I said I put up that funny SpongeBob thing with the lid, the lid, you know, questions on, you know, how many times it takes for a person to actually get what you're saying. And that's simply because people's brains are not processing quick enough. So I tell parents when I'm teaching – you know, when I'm getting the run and change opposite directions and stop and go, it's not just exercise at all. It's a mental exercise. I'm preparing them for so many other things in life. You have no idea with this little activity how important it is to the people. Like it's all about changing and getting them to understand reaction and reaction-based thinking and, you know, preemptive and post, right, you know, before and after, um, how to react and think. Does that make sense? So. It does. And what I'm hearing you say is not only is the language important, uh, you know, for the student to understand, but the concept, like, so the language is important for the parent to understand and the communication needs to happen so that they, uh, they, they understand the concepts that are behind it. Um, right. Because without that, they, like you said, they just see that the kid's running around and, yeah, it's good exercise or whatever, but they don't right. actually see the, the bigger picture. And that's where, like, we talk about uh, painting, we, we talk about painting a bigger picture for our students, but we also talk about painting a bigger picture for our parents because those are the ones that are obviously paying the bills right. when it comes to, you know, whether their kid is going to quit or continue and that type of thing. Yeah. And so you, you, what, that's what you're saying is we need to create a, uh, uh, we have to paint that picture for them and they have to understand what the parents I'm talking about have to understand what each stroke potentially can be and so that they can step back and see that whole picture as opposed oh, to just looking at that stroke and, and think, well, that's that's the color red. It's a nice color. No, 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 no. This is why it's red because then it's going to taper into blue and we have purple in the middle and, and this is what, you know, and then so you have to uh, be able to do that. Exactly. And you remember, you know, you know this, I've talked about it numerous times. I talk about the shades of blue kind of context. And if you had, um, you know, 40 different shades of blue starting at light, light blue, which is like sky blue to dark, dark navy blue, which is almost close to black. Um, but if we said to the parents, hey, we taught the kids about blue today and they go, OK, and whatever their perception of what blue is, that's the reality of what they're thinking. So right. we may be and this is kind of a different you know, example, but, you know, they may be 
so close to sky blue and we're so close to dark blue. We're like in two different quadrants of thinking, right? So we have to, we have to point out the obvious. I say that to my instructors all the time. You know, like when we do a Tai Sabaki drill where we strike down with a padded sword and the kids sidestep and sidestep and then they jump and they duck, right? So sometimes they do static blocking on a padded sword and they block, but sometimes the kids just put their hands up and my guys hit their arms and then they put their hands up. I'm like, you're not learning how to block at that point. You're just standing there and then the strike comes to you. I want them to keep their hands in chamber and when the cap, you know, comes down on their head, they block up. So they learn how to react to the motion. So God forbid someone tries to hit them on the head, they're, you know, they're not caught behind the eight ball, so to speak, right? You need to learn to react. So we, we do have to point out the blatant obvious. Like once I had a parent say to me, you know, hey, Shan, I appreciate the exercise, but, you know, all the kids seem to do in the beginning of every class is animal walks, you know, and it's like, you know, it's just fun games. I want them to really do some physical stuff. And I'm like, sir, I, he was a good in-shape guy, you know, so he probably lifted weights and did all this other stuff. So I said, would you mind coming out on the floor and doing a few, just few exercises with the kids? And he said, sure. You know, he's all cocky and, and confident. And he just did the animal walks back and forth a few times, and he was all out of breath. And he's like, oh, my goodness, this is not easy. I go, you see, it looks easy on camera, but when you see a kid doing a bear walk, that's coordination. It's not just exercise. It's hand-eye coordination. It's balance, mobility, movement. When they're hopping and leaping and jumping on a frog hop or whatever, a monkey walk sideways or a crab walk, I go, they're, yeah, they're all exercise-based, but they're also coordination, hand-eye coordination drills that we're teaching. But we do have to point that out to the students' parents if we're going to – because then when little Johnny goes, I don't want to go, I'm bored, the parent will go, okay, well, because they think it's boring too because they don't understand it. But once they know what it's actually doing for that child, then they'll go, oh, there's no chance you're bored. You're not doing this. It's so much fun. You're going to stay, you know. So we have to explain sometimes and get into the mindset of the parent or the client or the adult student, right, so that they understand the relevance of the move we're doing. Right. And, right? Then, you know, we, I, yeah, and I think then from that, understanding uh, the the story, if you will, that there needs to be an, an emotional response that that there is a uh, an anchor right. for them. Because yes. without that, so – you know, the monkey crawl, the crab walk, and those type of things, okay, yeah, they're hard, and I can see how they physically are going to, um, you know, make my child's coordination better, and then you say, yes, that's true. But understand that when they get tired and they still are persevering through that, that's going to carry over into the other activities, like when they get tired and they need to do their homework or when they get tired and, you know, they they, they need to uh, – uh, you know, finish that last quarter of a mile in the race. But see, but because they have uh, developed the habit of pushing through, that is right. going to then bleed over into these other things. And and then there, so that's the other emotional response that that hook, if you will, um, that needs to then translate. It's got to move over into that. Right. If it doesn't move over into that, I don't think yeah. it's a strong enough. Um, uh, feeling, right? Or, and I say hook. I don't mean a, in a bad way, but a what I would call a and I. It, it's a stick strategy. Yeah. You know, it, and I and I don't mean strategy in a bad way. I mean it's strategic that that they understand how this is going to coincide into the other areas of their life. That they go, oh yeah, martial arts really is a holistic approach on. Uh, my my child not only being able to physically protect themselves from 
a physical altercation, but a mental altercation, a social altercation, a, you know, and then go down down the line. But we have to be the ones that connect those dots uh, for them. And, and those dots need to be connected with, with, with an emotional response because we are emotional beings and, uh, we're not going to, it's just like we, what do we do when we buy something? We buy an emotion and then right. we back it up with logic later. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm a, and, I'm a creature of that all the time. Might take me a few years, exactly. but hey, and then I'm like, no, I really need that brand new sports car. I, I need it. I, you know, like, you know what I mean? So right. yeah, that's it. Right. So I think that's the other leap that has to happen uh, in yeah. order for and and, you know, we stop and if we go back to remember when I had uh, two of my parents on and we did that interview with them. Yeah. You know, the homeschool mom uses our leadership lessons as a part of their uh, their their curriculum for right. homeschool. Right. And but then she went on to say that. You know, these are things that she didn't even learn until she was or was introduced to until she was in college and her grade schoolers are being introduced to this. She goes, I can't, uh, she goes, I have a hard time imagining how much farther I would have been along had I learned these things. And so there was an emotional tie that started to happen for her and her kids, if that makes sense. Totally does. Listen, um, a good professor, which there are great educators or or great knowledge-based educators, but the ones for college kids or high school or any teacher, you could probably in your lifetime after graduating college pick out maybe a handful, maybe five or six people that really motivated and changed your life, right? Um, I want to be one of those teachers. Like I want, even if people end up hating me for whatever reason, I want them to be able to say they learned lessons from me, right? So, I, you know, I, I really want to make sure that I put them through the lesson structures that it becomes something that's simply life-changing, right? Something that people could say, I'm not going to use my physical martial arts skills, but what I learned in the classroom I could use here. I'll give you an example. I had a student that I hadn't heard from many for many years. We've been in touch over the last two years. Um, and I was back in the early days, brutally hard on, on these students, right? So the students came to me and said, you know, my, my life was changed by what you taught me. He says, I actually almost died of a heart attack. And I, as I was having the heart attack, I remember going through your class where you said to sit in, in Indian style and meditate and slow my heart rate down. And he said he dialed 911, called it in went to his front steps and sat up and leaned against a pole and meditated. And when the paramedics got there, they said, you should have been dead by now. And they were able to then do whatever they needed to do. And he survived the heart attack. And he said, the reason why he did that was the lessons that he learned that I taught in class, not only how to do it, but the struggles that he went through before he had to do it so that he was getting beat up or he was exhausted or he was you know, dead tired. And then I forced him to learn how to meditate and slow himself down and control his breathing and not panic under pressure. That was the difference between life and death with him. And I thought that was an amazing story. Never knew about it until like the last two or three years. His name was Carl, amazing student. Um, so, so with us, sometimes being hard on a student is going to change their life as well. And, and sometimes a parent says, well, he's getting demotivated. He hasn't gotten his white belt yet. And I'm like, well, that's a great lesson for him to learn patience, perseverance. Yeah, but he's bored. He's still learning the same techniques. Well, ma'am, that's a great lesson for him to learn consistency and perfection of technique, right? So we have all these lessons, but, but they don't get that. They might say, like I had a lady, I, I think I talked about this recently, and I talked for like 45 minutes to this woman, and when I was all done, 
even though I gave her every reason for 45 minutes, she said at the end, she said, uh, oh, yeah, but when's he going to get his blue belt? Like, that, I thought I gave her every reason not to want it. She was like, okay, great. When's he getting his blue belt? Like, 45 minutes of my life zapped out of my life. The biggest energy vampire ever. Um, anyway, they went on to brown belt and then eventually quit because they didn't want to put the time in. So it's the mindset, right? And uh, I right. think that's sad. So anyway, uh, Lewis had a question. He wrote, I like pointing out the good kid's behavior and watch the other kids fall into line. And that's what I was saying before. Rather than saying to the bad kid, you know, get up, sit up straight, do the right thing, I might say to him, hey, great job sitting up straight, right, right, Brendan, or whatever your name is. And then they like, even though they're not doing it, then they do it, right? And I have a line yep. that I use in my school. I go, come up here. And like I'll point, I, it's kind of a little cruel in a joking way, and I'll go, come up here, Dwayne. Come right up in front of me. What are you doing? Come up here. And the kid, like, head down, nervous, and he comes up, and I go, high five. And he's like, what? And I go, you are awesome the way you just got – and you know what? You got caught. And he's like, what? I go, you got caught doing something really good. Hey, guys, how many people would rather get caught doing good things than bad things? And everyone raised their hands. So I said, show me great behavior so I could catch you doing it. I mean, over-the-top great behavior so I could catch you being amazing – Rather than me catching you being out of line, sliding, walking over to the wall and leaning on it and doing all this, show me how to stand up straight. Show me how to act properly. Show me how to punch with the loudest key eye. So the psychology of teaching and shifting this terminology, shifting this mindset into that, rather than a kid always being like, I was that kid. I, I was the kid in school that the teachers would meet the year before it started and say, oh, you, twain, you got you got Ali Alberigo? Mm, good luck, man. That kid is a horror show. And before they even met me, they already were out for me. And they didn't mean to be. They were just worn by the last six teachers, right? And you know, I once had a lady say, you know what, to my mom, you know what, every teacher told me that Ali was going to be a terrible student, but I treated him like he was the best student ever. And she was one of my favorite teachers. Her name was Mrs. Kelly. She actually got pregnant and left before the classroom was, the year was over. My mom knitted her a shawl up by hand and I gave it to her as a gift. I still remember that woman to this day. She was my seventh grade teacher, one of the subjects in between who changed my life because she treated me like I had potential, not like I was a wanted criminal, right? So, so that kind of mindset is catching them ahead of time, catching them preemptively um, or creating that mindset ahead of time that they're going to do good. They get caught doing good things, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a good thing. Lewis, do that, you know, check that out and see. So there's a lot of really great, you know, people on here commenting. I see so many other people. Uh, Lewis, of course, is my guy in Florida. He recommended my 101 drills for an exciting classroom DVD. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, we have my friend from Puerto Rico. He's still teaching out of his dojo and, his, his, you know, how Puerto Rico was devastated. He's still out there pumping it out, teaching classes, keeping the community connected and so on. So kudos to him. He wrote it, uh, but we can't give up. Keep doing a great uh, – this is a job of a great teacher. I'm proud to be one of them. He is, he's one of the guys who got me involved. He was my senior in the martial arts and uh, ninjutsu with my teacher, Shion Vasquez, so it's exciting. But so what do you do with bad behavior? I wrote down, like, you know, do you do timeouts for bad behavior? Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? I have a specific way, uh, you know, to do it. But what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, first I would say it's situational to a certain degree, Okay. But um, primarily, I will try to use healthy competition or I will use, uh, um, you know, like you had done, I would praise somebody and then see if, if they will respond and start following that praise. Meaning if, if, uh, if I'm having a problem with Jack, I'll say to Jill, Jill, I really like how you're standing at attention or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, and praise Jill and, and hope that Jack does that. If he does, right. I'll immediately 
praise Jack and say, man, Jack, you don't want Jill to beat you, do you? Right. I see that. You yeah. Know? But if he doesn't respond, um, then, I, you know, we go through our three-strike rule. So, right. you know, we'll I'll say, you know, now, Jack, that's one. Now, do you understand why I gave you a strike? Right. And we get down to their level. We look at them in the eyes. Um, I My voice is... Uh, my my voice inflection is low, you know, so I'm not, you can't be high with it. I can't go, now, Jack, that's, you know, no, uh-uh. this is a disciplined voice. And so right. your voice has to be low and you say, you know, Jack, that's one. Right. Now, do you know, do you understand why I gave you a strike? Yeah. I let him tell me. And if he's right, I say, that's right. Now, what is the correct behavior? Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't understand, I'll say, well, this is why I gave it to you. This is the correct behavior I expect to see you do. I said, you are better than that. And then we move from there. Strike two, I'll say, you know, hey, look, that's strike two, Jack. I already talked to you about this. You get uh, a third strike, and you're going to be sitting out, and then and, and uh, we're going to have a meeting with mom. Right. Or, or dad or whatever. Uh, and then three strikes. If they have to sit on the wall, then then that is a one big strike in our system, meaning that, I will take their time card and I'll hole punch their time card and they got one strike now. Um, and of course we're going to meet with the parent, talk about the whole situation. Uh, if they end up going through that whole thing like that scenario and didn't have to be the same thing, uh, three times. See, I won't even hole punch their card a three, a third time. They're out of here. And that's in our, that's in our manual. Right. I have a three strike rule. So it's three strikes in class equals one big strike against you at the studio. Then that happens a second time. That's your second big strike in the studio. And then if that happens a third time, you're out of here. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. Mr. Jones, I'm sorry. I'm not equipped to, you know, teach your child. Yeah, I love I love what you're saying. And then there's a part of me that almost is like, but aren't we supposed to be the, the last end of the line guy that whips the kids into shape? And, I, you know, listen, I, I, I talked about this not too long ago, and I had said, you know, like all the people that I've given the most time to were the ones that ended up not liking me, ripping me off, not paying me, um, talking bad about the school when I finally got done giving up years of my time to them. And it was probably the stupidest move that I, sh- that I did. But, but I always wanted to help. And unfortunately, our industry, and I just did an interview, an hour and a half long interview with Toby Milroy uh, just recently, and um, just Monday, actually. And, you know, we talked about how it's so important for us to know what we're, what we're doing in regards to how we deal with the children, what their needs are. Our industry has buzzwords, buzzwords itself into oblivion, I said. I wrote an article on that years ago. Like, we are, you know, we teach kids with ADD, ADHD, autism, you know, bad behavior, criminals, you know, drug dealers, murderers, bring them to us, one and all. And our industry swears to profess to, to change these people's lives. And then when we have a classroom filled with these people, we're going like, who, why is this all that joins my school? Because number one, um, parents with or students that have normal behaviors don't want to be always around a classroom of kids that have bad behaviors. That's why they have um, fully inclusion classes in some public schools, but most of them are segregated yeah. or separated to learn at their own pace with the proper aids, more one-on-one attention, and so on. Yet we do the opposite in our martial arts school. We take one and all. As long as they're willing to sign them up and put the time in, we're going to take them. We don't evaluate and, and so on. So sometimes that gets us into trouble. But I agree with you, the three-time rule or, or the three-time or three-strike rule is very, very important. And I love what you said because I do this too. 
because you might put a kid in timeout and they might not know at all why they're in there. So I love that you come over and say, do you know why I put you here? And the kid might say, yeah, I was talking. Nope, that's not why. It's the part when you slap the other kid in the face, you know, after you were talking, you know, because you're being so goofy. And then they understand, say, I'm going to leave you here for like, and I only do short timeouts. So I don't want them there for 15 minutes or 10 minutes, maybe three minutes maximum where they get put in timeout. We, we, tell them what they're doing, and then we analyze their behavior. Then before, I'll, I'll, before we bring them back in, I'll ask them if they know why and why they sat out and if they're going to correct that behavior, right? And then I'll let them back into class. So what are you going to say? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I was going to say what we do is uh, whatever their age is, that's how long they have to sit out. Oh, okay. All right. So if, it's, if they're three years old, they're going to sit out for three minutes. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, like a 13-year-old could sit for almost 13 minutes. Absolutely. And if I got a okay. problem with 13, you know, we got bigger problems than that. But yeah. But, but you do have it though, right? Like maybe not 13, but like I have this one little kid who just joined my school. He's literally the daughter of, a, of a, a, an old student of mine. I mean, the son of an old student of mine. When she was 14, she was my student. Now she's, you know, has two kids. Um, and uh, he's an adorable kid, very inquisitive, but he's like the spin around and he supposedly has ADD, but really he has parent sympathized ADD. Meaning by, like, he's been diagnosed with this bad behavior, and maybe for some strange reason he does have traits of it. But you ever have a parent who entitles that kid to be able to be bad because he supposedly has, supposedly has the diagnosis, so everything is like, yeah, you know, he has ADD, that's why he spun around and slapped his sister in the face. No, he has ADD when he has bad behavior skills, and you're not reprimanding him enough. Like, I have a, a 12-year-old girl that's slightly on the spectrum that the parents are still tying her shoes and putting her belt on and putting on her shirt. And, and I'm like, she's capable of fixing that all on their own. You have to make sure um, that she learns those lessons because you're not going to be here forever. You wanted to teach that. And by the way, pride is developed by self-achievement, not by someone doing it for you. I've never been proud of my mom tying my shoes for me, right? I've never been proud okay. of some, you know, someone doing anything for me, right? I want to do it myself. I, I gotta, I gotta tell you this. This was totally wrong for me to say this. Right. But I was so pissed off at this answer. Mm-hmm. So the, I got a kid, and I don't know, maybe he's been there nine months, maybe a year. And I said, "Your, said, sir, your, 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 your belt is tied wrong. It needs to be tied again." And he goes, "Oh." He goes, "My mom tied it." I go, who tied it? He goes, my mom tied it. I said, what is your mom doing tying your belt? You need to tie your belt. I said, she doesn't still wipe your butt, does she? (laughs) And I should not have said that. And my instructors are just kind of looking at me. And and he goes, no, sir. I said, then tie your own belt. Right. But the problem was I said that in front of all the other students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. We slip sometimes, right? And we make... Yeah, one of my one of my guys, I had a student who was like 15, and he didn't want to come to class anymore because one of my other guys said, you know, that was the stupidest thing you guys ever said. And he felt like the instructor, and then the instructor said, no, I'm just kidding with you. It slipped out, you know. Um, but mm. uh, he felt embarrassed, and, and, the, and the dad was like, you know, I want my kid to be tough, but I don't want him to lose his confidence and not want to come. And I'm like, this comes from a correctional officer, right, He's telling me that he wants his kid to be tough and know how to fight, but he's afraid that he got called stupid. You know, so I, to me, it's just counterproductive. But I say we have to have thicker skin. But you know what? I do agree. Parents don't bring their kids someplace to, to be belittled. And sometimes we make a mistake, say a wrong comment, and it could reverse years of uh, 
of training. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the deal. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to justify what I said, right? By any means, because I was yeah. totally that was totally uh, wrong, right? Uh, but if if that kid played football, yeah, those those fo- those pee wee football coaches are cussing out, yeah, these kids. I know, I know. I I'm why do and we all I said by... was, hey, is your mom still wiping your butt? You know? Yeah, but why do we get? Why do we live? Why are we held to a different standard? And I think that's because they think that parents think that that the martial art black belt is a highly disciplined, higher um, mentality than than like a coach who coaches football. So they'll hold. Well, us we to hold ourselves. We hold ourselves to a higher standard too. Right. I mean, that, it, right. But of we course. are human. We are going to make those mistakes. Exactly. Hey, listen, Paul Kroll, one of our regular listeners, a client of mine, friend of mine from Michigan, he um, he wrote, recently I had a parent of a student who has one of the most awkward personalities ask me when his student, which his child, would be able to start teaching. He's nearing his black belt. I wasn't sure how to respond and explain that. Honestly, it would be devastating. Um, I guess he means that the kid's not ready to teach. So how do you teach people? Well, Paul, my suggestion to you is, Start your leadership team up like I told you to do and actually charge for it, not give it away for free, um, but also make sure that you're educating them on how to do it. So once you're teaching people how to teach and you can see the levels of quality, you could assign them certain things, like maybe they could do a quick warm-up in class. That might be enough for a parent to be excited that their kid's actually getting out in front of a group. He may not be teaching spiritual lessons. He might not be teaching fighting lessons. He might not be teaching self-defense lessons, but you still could get him to be a part. In fact, here's a cool drill that most instructors might want to do is they may want to add into their curriculum um, little methods of teaching. Like, so let's say a beginner level, white belt level, they learn how to do a two-step stretch combination. And as part of their rank requirements, they have to come up to the front of the class and do it. And everyone has to learn how to do it, how to speak it, how to talk it, how to do it, and how to lead a class. Now, I do this for two reasons, right? Because check this out. If I'm able to talk to a parent and I don't have time to be there from the very start of the class and a parent's chewing my ear off, I'll go, Johnny, stretch the class for me. Any one of them could do it because it's part of what we teach them so that now a parent's not – the other parents in the lobby aren't going – how come they have a seven-year-old stretch in the class? They're going, oh, this is part of their lesson plan. Look at my son's going to do that eventually too. And then it gets bigger and better as it goes along. So by the time they get to maybe brown belt level, they have some good amount of skill in educating and teaching. Not everyone's going to have the best personality, which we discussed before, but um, this kid, just because he's near his black belt, or even if he was a black belt, doesn't mean that he's ever going to be the best teacher in the world. It just means that he's a technician, not a teacher, Right. So it's a yeah. big difference. So that. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, let me back up and say that in all of this, I think it's important to have upgrade levels. And so, for instance, you have your basic level that people buy into. From there, you either have your black belt, leadership, storm team, whatever it is. I, let me just explain ours and and some congruency here just so that we're on the same page. We have our basic program. After you've been in it for a year, um, you're eligible for upgrade to the leadership. Mm-hmm. After you, and then uh, once you're a red belt, that means you've been in my program for two years and you're in leadership, you're eligible for storm team, which is uh, the special team of role models where they get to learn how to teach. Right. Um, you know, I have a curriculum that has been developed uh, lesson plans that are developed 
Um, and that's actually w- w- when they get through that. And that's like a, what is that? A two and a half, three year program. That, right. That storm team program. Once they get through all of that, they have, um, they, they not only know the techniques at each level, which they should know anyways, just because obviously, uh, uh, they're they're ahead of that because if they're at red belt and they're learning the white belt material and how to teach the white belt material, of course they've already learned that material. But not only do they know it because they're a red belt, but now they're learning how to teach it. And they, and and so I uh, strategically teach them each technique, each belt rank, and then the different philosophies of teaching, like the the four rules or the the yeah the four rules of teaching, the praise correct phrase, healthy competition. Yeah. Those are all sprinkled mm-hmm. in throughout the. Uh, the curriculum cycle. So by the end of the two and a half, three year period, now they know how to do uh, all those things. They know how to do the warm up that you're talking about or warm ups. They know how to do private lessons. They know how to, right. they basically know how to teach. Now, yep. whether or not they have the um, personality, and that's something I can't necessarily teach. I can kind right. of hone, right. but I can't teach. I can make mm-hmm. suggestions but I can't make sure that they're at the level that I want. So let's just now say that I have 20 people on my storm team uh, that I can pick from and go, hey, I've got an opening. And they all know that, by the way, when they get on the storm team, that that's how you become an instructor, a right, paid right. instructor. Right. <laughs> Not just a storm team member, but a paid instructor. Right. Yeah. And uh, then I'm able to pull from that. And so in as much as, you know, these tips and tactics throughout, I think these upgraded programs inside of your, uh, now whether they're upgraded and paid for or you get them anyways, there's still, it's still an upgrade, uh, because they're learning more material. Uh, I do believe that there should be more money involved because, um, it's going to weed out the people that aren't serious. Can you give yeah. some scholarships to people that are you know are super serious and can't afford X, Y, or Z? Maybe. I mean, that's your own call. Um, but I think that that's going to be important. Yeah. And, 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 and then that also, I think, helps with retention. So I, I'll give you a for instance. Last night, I had a student come up to me who's come up to me before. Right. Uh, probably about six months ago. And say, hey, I, 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 I'm interested in Storm Team. And six months ago, I told him, all right, thank you. That's what I need to hear. So thank you for right. letting me know. And then I heard nothing from him, and it's been about six months. And he came up to me again last night, and he said, sir, I just want to remind you that I was, uh, I'm interested in Storm Team. Now, he's not hounded me, he's not, and he's been performing really, really well in class. I, I'm, I'm super tempted to give him the opportunity to be in Storm Team. And right. He's eligible for um, black belt this December. Like he's testing for his black belt this December, right? And 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 everybody. And let me go back. In our school, everybody gets an opportunity for leadership. Mm-hmm. Not everybody that walks up to me and says I'm interested in teaching, you know, to be on the storm team. Not right. they, I, I hand pick those. Like right. I don't even let my instructors nominate. Like I hand. Mm-hmm pick those. And so it's a smaller, smaller group. Right. 
Is that helpful in this conversation or not? Totally, totally is because, you know, that it lays out the levels of when people can teach for Paul and, you know, when they're actually able to teach. And if he had that system in place, that would be an easy answer to a parent. Like, oh, you can't teach unless you've been to our leadership team or you can't teach unless you've been to the leadership team for three years or whatever. Or, hey, you want your son to teach. A great skill would be to put him in our leadership team and get him going, right, and let them learn how to actually teach. Like, I have some adults that are really great students that I love, and I think that they'd be great teachers, but I don't put them to teach because they don't know the methodology that my teachers use. You know, the, you know, over-exaggeration when doing a movement so the kids duck, you know, rather than just popping them in the head and making them seem like they failed, you know. Um, so many skills and activities that we should be doing as instructors, and it's very, very important for them to do that. So we're literally running out of time. I mean, we could probably do, and I don't know if you want to, a part two on this, because we've had a lot of people, and this is a big call for us, a lot of people replying so far, and this is just live, and so many different instructors of high level, and uh, even one of my students, um, an old student who now is an adult and is trained in many other martial arts who moved away, um, he wrote, I'm super interested in this because my old system had the exact opposite problem. Yes, we had more Don ranks and professors than Q students on the mat. Um, Don Zenru has an interesting curriculum and uh, more like an encyclopedia. It's not secret, it's sacred at, at Don rank. Uh, thus, we had more trouble getting the students through the lower arts and into the Don ranking circle than keeping our advanced students. This is true, right? Sometimes we're top heavy, right? We have beginners up here and we have high ranks and low ranks down here. And the ones that stick around maybe start to skew it up slightly so the graph kind of looks like this. Um, but uh, most of the time, martial artists are filled with beginners and very thin on the lower level. In fact, some martial artists feel proud when I say, how many black belts have you promoted? You've been open for 52 years? Oh, yeah, I promoted three black belts in my time. I'm like, well, really, what kind of injustice is it to your art that you've only promoted three people? Are you doing a bad job? Are you bad at what you do? Are you just not going to ever give people their black belt? Why? What's the, what's the reason for that? So, like, I wouldn't want to join a college that I knew I was most of the time going to fail. Now, when I trained with Steven Seagal, one time he was telling us uh, he was telling us that he fails most people the first and second time around for their black belt. But he said that's part of the lesson. Eventually, if they stick with it, they're going to pass. But he says there is a part of the test that is based on failure to see if you could still continue and persevere and push forward because, listen, he was rich. He didn't need people. He didn't need to keep students interested. They wanted to quit. They quit. But with him, they had to prove the desire, right? And I don't think we have that as much in our society anymore. People are so easy to quit and move on and blame rather than being like me, stubborn and sticking with it and pushing through and persevering in spite of, right? So. Um, yeah, maybe we'll think about doing another call. I mean, there's still so much we haven't even covered in, you know, teaching ability and classroom drills and stuff like that. Yeah, maybe we can, you know, title it a little bit different. Maybe it's something sure. different. Sure. Yeah. Well, very good. Any so, last thoughts? Um, no. I, I, you know, in as much as the – I would say teaching martial arts is easy. Right. But teaching it – um, teaching it to the masses and actually um, getting really good results across the board is hard. Right. Um, I remember when I first, first started, and it was some guy that lived in a trailer park who just, I was there to get beat up. 
Right. I didn't know if he knew anything, but I heard he yeah. knew stuff, and so I was yeah. like, and I would just go back and just just be, <laughs> just be yeah. up, yeah, you know, and and uh, it, and and that was easy, like that was right. easy for him. Right. It wasn't until you know I moved into a more professional setting, if you will that there was longevity and and I think that that's important especially obviously if you want to make a living out of it but even if you right. want to you know do it part time it's difficult um to have patience you know I had a mom that that came up to me uh Saturday and uh, we were at our second black belt pretest and she said to me she goes uh no excuse me not Saturday Friday night the day before and she says she I she goes I don't know how you do it I go what do you mean she goes I don't know how you're so patient with people. She says, right. because, I, you know, I listen to some of these people that say stuff to you, and, and it's I, I want to rip their throat out, basically, is what yeah. she was saying. Yeah. And I said, you know, it, believe me, it's not that I don't ever think about that. But yeah. it's, it's uh, I, I'm not going to get my point across that way. I'm not going to win friends and influence people that way. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm in it for the long haul because I, I know what the martial arts can do long term. And so if that means that I have to supposedly eat a little crow to right. then hopefully win you over, I mean, I'm within reason, of course. Um, I'm willing to do that. And, right. you know, and I think that made an impact on her just kind of, and there's more to the story, but uh, yeah. I think that made an, an impact on her. So my final thoughts are, you know, teaching, just teaching martial arts is super easy. Um, but being able to teach it in an effective way over a long period of time to a lot more individuals that you can influence is, is really difficult. And right. uh, education is going to be important um, with regards to how to do that effectively out on the floor. And that encompasses, you know, teaching method, methodology. It encompasses especially what you brought up with regards to how you present material, your speaking ability, your cadence, and, and all of those things, storytelling. And, and uh, you know, you, you really are, I think, and this is the way that I approach it, um, I guess in a nutshell, is I am a motivational speaker when I'm out on that floor. And I just yeah. happen to use the martial arts to, uh, as a catalyst, mm -hmm. to speak those motivational things. Right. Absolutely, dude. That was a great summary and close up. I, I don't really have much other to say. I mean, it was a great call. It was a long call. We're on for an hour and two minutes. I love it. I, so, uh, everybody, I hope you had a great time. I hope you listened to it. I hope you get something out of this. You could use it in your classes. Um, share it with others, of course, in our group. They, they have to be a part of our group to see this. And um, thanks for everything. Listen to it on iTunes. Be a part of our iTunes podcast, right? And uh, that's, that's it. I guess we're all set. We'll see you next week. Any last words? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, go to school, schoolownertalk.com, and you can, uh, uh, you know, subscribe there. So whether iTunes or on Android device, it's all there. Excellent. Awesome, Dwayne. You have an amazing week, man. You look good, by the way. I like your sweatshirt. Thanks. <laughs> See you later. Take care. Later, man. Bye.